uh, Pastor Sam led us really well into uh, this topic with the songs we sang and also with his prayer. Uh, I forget which week this is within the Growth Institute. Um, we are getting very far into it. We are, this is the third week specifically on the doctrine of Christ. Pastor Jason started it, if you remember, two weeks ago, where he was talking about that Christ is fully God and fully man. The importance of Christ being fully both, not just part God, part man, but 100% both. We talked about that. And then uh, last week, Pastor Ron talked about the past atoning work of Christ. Uh, and we're now going to be building off of that uh, and talking about the current interceding work of Christ and see how those two things, the past atoning work of Christ and his current interceding work for us, really go hand in hand. Um, but before we start, let me open this up in prayer. Lord, we love you and we... Uh, praise you for who you are, Lord. Uh, we thank you that you are our great high priest, Lord, who atones our sins, Lord, and intercedes on our behalf before God the Father, Lord, and that we are found um, blameless because we are in you, Lord. Ultimately, you are the blameless one, Lord. You are the spotless lamb, but when we become united to you upon justification, uh, your righteousness has been imputed onto us, so it's as if we are righteous as well. Lord, and we thank you for that reality. We thank you for the salvation that we have in your Son, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word, Lord, and see what this means for us, Lord, and see what, it, what this means about who you are, Lord, and how you act. Um, we love you, and I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, so I was telling Elizabeth on the way here that I'm really excited for this topic specifically, the interceding work of Christ. I believe last several times I taught on the Trinity, I probably said the exact same thing. Um, but, I mean, I just, I love this, uh, these topics. Um, I think the interceding work of Christ is something that isn't as talked about as the past atoning work of Christ. Uh, the past atoning work of Christ, we think about all the time, right? Because that's what happened on the cross. This is what the gospel is centered on. Uh, but I think many times we may uh, neglect the fact that Christ is still currently interceding on our behalf before God the Father. Uh, and so that's the purpose of today's discussion. You can see on your note sheet, hopefully you got note sheets. Um, there is, there, there, uh, is one, two, three, four sections. Uh, the first section, the biblical testimony of Christ's intercession. So we want to first talk about, identify some areas in Scripture where we could come to a proper understanding of Christ's intercession for us. And then we're going to get a little bit more into what it is. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the blessings we receive from it, uh, and those sort of things. So the biblical testimony of Christ's 
intercession. You could see there's a couple of different sections in here. First one, Christ, or God foreshadowed Christ, Christ's intercession. Um, we see this foreshadowed in the Old Testament. If you remember, if you were here last week with Ron teaching, some of you all were uh, maybe in choir practice or doing other things, uh, but Pastor Ron like I said, talked about the past atoning work of Christ, and he looked at the Old Testament, and he talked about uh, Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, and what that, how that foreshadowed the atonement. Well, I want to go back to that and see how it also foreshadows Christ's current interceding work for us. Um, so, turn your Bibles open to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I try to um, keep most of the passages in one book so we could be turning uh, to them together. Uh, So the Day of Atonement, what is that? That was the one day a year when the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies to intercede uh, for the nation of Israel, to atone for the sins uh, by sprinkling blood. He brought blood into the Holy of Holies, sprinkling blood on the mercy seats, which is the top of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, bringing that in um, once a year. If you, if you think about the tabernacle, or the temple in the Old Testament, uh, there's several, several different parts to it. Uh, you have the outer court, right? You have the outer area where you have um, the bronze altar. It's where you burn um, your sacrifices. You have that on the outside. And then you have this tent, when it was the tabernacle, um, and you go and you go to the holy place, uh, and then a little bit further in, beyond the curtain, you have then the Holy of Holies, and that's kind of how it was split up. Within the holy place, before you got into the Holy of Holies, remember the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. Before you get into the Holy of Holies, you have another altar, which was the altar of the golden altar, the altar of incense. And once you start recognizing how these things were being used, you see how these were actually being foreshadowed for the work of Christ and what he was going to be doing. And we see this played out in Hebrews, and so that's why I want to read through Hebrews. Um, I actually don't have references. I, didn't, I realized I didn't put references on your note sheets, but if you want to write references down for your note sheet for further study, Old Testament references, uh, you could see where it talks about the golden altar, altar of incense, Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. Uh, you could see, uh, you can look up Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7. These are just some of the instructions for the priests in the Old Testament. Uh, and then Exodus chapter 16, verses 18 through 19. Uh, and there we simply just see the backdrop that it was the priest, uh, the, when the priest killed the sacrifice and offered it on the bronze altar, um, outside the tabernacle, as I had mentioned. That's the first altar. He then brought in blood into the holy places to apply to the golden altar of incense, 
Uh, he did this once a year. He put it on the horns of the altar, which was four horns on each corner of the altar on the inside. And so we see then this was foreshadowing uh, the high priest being our mediator, the nations of Israel mediator before God, sacrificing uh, the animal on the bronze altar to atone for the sins, and then once a year going in uh, to the Holy of Holies even, bringing this blood in, sprinkling it in, uh, showing that he's bringing man's sin to God, interceding for the nation of Israel. All right, so turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, I want us to read some of this. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And I want you all to follow along if you can. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Now even the first covenants when reg- had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. This was the first room, the first part of the tent, uh, the holy place. Uh, verse 3. Behold, the second curtain uh, was a second section called the most holy place, or we have the holy of holies, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a gold urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff, uh, that bubbed, uh, and the tables of the covenant. Uh, verse 5, above it were the cherubim of glory, foreshad- foreshadowing the mercy seats of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So he's giving a quick background. The, he, the author of Hebrews is giving a quick background of what he's about to talk about, and then we see him, him get to Christ and how Christ is fulfilling this. All right, so uh, continue with me. Actually, does someone want to read verses 6 through 12 for us? And we could continue. Verses 6 through 12. These preparations have thus been made. The priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only, the high priest goes. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Hmm. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, of which the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. All right, so verse... 12, we see starting to now bridge into Christ. Who wants to pick up, starting in verse 24, 24 through 26 of the same chapter? You can just pick up reading. Yep, 24 through 26. 
For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have, to, uh, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Mm-hmm. So we are seeing here, and this is one of the point of the whole book of Hebrews, where we see Christ is the great high priest, the one who has replaced all of the high priests in the Old Testament. And we see he is in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, we see that earlier in the book of Hebrews. Um, but now it's Christ uh, who is entering the holy place. And this we see it's referring to when he ascends up to heaven and comes before God the Father. Uh, it's now sitting on the right hand of God the Father. He's entered the holy place there, the heavenly place, on our behalf. Something that's not made out of um, man's hands, right? But now it's an eternal state. And this is something that he doesn't need to do necessarily repeated just once a year, but he's always there because he is the eternal interceder for us on our behalf. Uh, so we see this is just a, a foreshadow. This is one area in the Old Testament. We see this as a foreshadow of Christ's interceding, current interceding work for us. Uh, and there's a lot more we could probably get into in the details on here. Uh, But I want us to move on. So now turn your Bibles. Keep a finger in Hebrews because we'll be in Hebrews a lot tonight. Uh, But turn your Bibles back to Isaiah 53. This was another major passage, again, that Pastor Ron talked about just last last week. Isaiah 53, we have the suffering servant. Um, And again, one thing I want to emphasize tonight is the past atoning work of Christ and the current interceding work of Christ really go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And this is why we're really looking at a lot of the same passages that we saw last week. All right, so Isaiah 53, I'm sure many of us are familiar with it, right? Uh, The promise of the suffering servant. Pastor Ron talked a lot about it last week, uh, where we see 700 years before Christ came, before he was ever born, 700 years before he became the incarnate son, this was prophesied about Christ, uh, that he would be uh, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We see this in uh, verse 5 of um, chapter 53. But I want us to look specifically at verse 12. You have this on your note sheet. Uh, 53 verse 12. Um, Last verse of this chapter. Uh, And it's really the second half I'm going to be, really want to get at. Um, but I'll, I'll start with the, with the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. We see there the atoning work of Christ. He bore the sin of many upon the cross, right? And it makes intercession for the transgressors. We see how they are tied together, right? He bore the sin of many. He atones um, for our sins upon the cross, and then he intercedes. You can't separate the two. Uh, He then intercedes. And we see him interceding once he ascends back up to heaven upon the throne. All right, so 
He there's foreshadowing happening. We see the suffering servants. And then all the New Testament. Christ ascended back up to heaven and now sit, sitting on the right hand of God the Father. So you can see the third part under this section. Christ as our high priest. Um, this is a quick side note. You might have heard that Christ is our king, priest, and prophet. I said that out of order. Prophet, priest, king. Um, and those are three offices that Christ holds, right? He is the king of kings. Uh, he is the prophet because he ultimately fulfills all these prophetic prophecies. He is the one revealing God's word to us. That's a prof prophetic work he does. But then he's also our high priest. And the atoning work of Christ and his interceding work for us is all part of the priestly work of Christ. Um, so this is what we're talking about, the priestly work of Christ. Um, so Christ as our high priest. Uh, again, like I said, we're going to be in lot, Hebrews a lot. So Hebrews chapter 1, I have the, um, the section on your note sheet here. Um, so you don't necessarily need to turn there. There's a lot of other sections I don't have on this note sheet that you will need to have your Bibles open to. Four. Who wants to read uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 for us? All right, thank you. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to heir of all things, through whom he has also created the world. Mm -hmm. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on the high, having become as much more superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay. Hebrews is such an incredible book. I feel like this section here, like, almost gives me, like, goosebumps, <laughs> like, every time, because, like, it's, it really lifts up and exalts Christ for all that he is. I mean, and you see some themes in here uh, that we've talked about in the past. Um, when We've talked about the external works of the Trinity in creation, and we said that creation comes through Christ, and we see that happening, that mentioned here. Um, the exact imprints, right? He is the image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1.15 shows us as well. But, Near the end of this section, after making purification for sins, right, atoning, um, dying on the cross for our sins, um, he sat then, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is when he ascends back up to heaven and he sits there, having become a much superior to the angels. Um, this is when he becomes our great high priest who is interceding on our, our behalf. So uh, Hebrews Chapter 7, verse 25, I also have this on your note sheet here. This is um, a major verse in our discussion. Consequently, and we will look at this also more in context a little bit later. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Again, salvation happens through Christ because he is the great high priest. He is the mediator, the God-man, right? All these themes tie together with what we've been talking about. And we're still talking about Trinitarian theology because we're talking about now just how God works through the second person of the Trinity and 
The Spirit is the one who applies it, but all this is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Um, since, he always, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We see this interceding work there. And you can't have this discussion without looking at Romans 8. So I added that here as well, even though it's not Hebrews. Romans 8, 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Uh, this is specifically referring to those God saves. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Again, we see the atonement work there. More than that, who is raised, the ascension, who is at, who is at uh, the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, current tense, currently happening, is interceding for us. See, it's all tied together, this work. It's all tied together because this is all the work of Christ being the great high priest. He is our great high priest. So this is just a quick overview of the biblical testimony of Christ's interceding work. Now we're going to talk about what is Christ's interceding work. We already kind of have a picture of what this is, right? Uh, but let's a little bit, talk a little bit more about it. I thought, I mean, it was worth maybe bringing this definition in, the Westminster Larger Catechism definition. Um, I know we don't necessarily uphold to this fully, and that's fine, but it's helpful. And this is how it was defined, how it's defined here. Um, so the question is, what is Christ's, what is the inner accessory work of Christ? And then the answer is, you can see here, Christ makes intercession uh, by appearing in our nature continually, the human nature, before the Father in heaven. So is Christ still man? Yes, he is still man. He's still fully God and fully man, even now. In the merit of his obedience uh, and sacrifice on earth, declaring his will to have it applied to all believers, answering all accusations against them, the accusations that Satan brings. We'll talk more about that. I'm even saying about that. And procuring with boldness to the throne of grace and acceptance of their persons and services. So that's the answer to there. That's what um, it is in the Westminster Larger Catechism. Um, Now I want us to try to describe it. Um, These points here underneath it are not from the Catechism, Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, but I think these points are helpful. These are descriptors of what it is. And hopefully then by us describing it, we're able to have some discussion and what are the implications by asking ourselves, what are the implications if this is what it is? Um, the first one, Christ's priestly intercession is holy. It's holy. Uh, and I think we could get behind this one pretty easily because we know Christ is holy, because God is holy. Uh, you could see, I wrote down uh, chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews. I will quickly read that for us. It says, verse 15, uh, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, who in every uh, respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He is the one without sin. Um, 
And then also chapter 7, verse 26. Chapter 7, verse 26. Uh, and if you want, you could be following along in your Bibles. Uh, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Right? This is something that describes the the intercession that Christ is having on our behalf. So my question for you guys, and maybe we could get some discussion. This will be the same question we'll be asking ourselves after each descriptor. Uh, description. Uh, what does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work? Because Christ's priestly intercession is holy, if that is true, then what does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work when you apply it for yourself? Just don't say it, it saying that it's holy. We, we've said that. So what are the implications of that? Um, what do you guys think? This is one of my favorite parts of working through theology, right? It's observing what's in the text, but then drawing the logical conclusions that God wants us to draw from these texts so that we could then apply it for us. Um, so what, what does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work? Because it's holy. Yes, okay. So he's able to intercede for us because he is holy. Um, He's blameless. Yes. I'll give an example. Those are, those are great, and those are true, right, uh, of all, kind of what I'm also looking for. Uh, because his intercession is holy, because he is holy, we can have absolute confidence that he, that he intercedes with love and purity of motive. Because he is holy, right, because his intercession is holy, we could have confidence that he intercedes with love and purity of motive, unlike any corrupt religious leader on earth. Right? This is what distinguishes him. Um, there's been many corrupt priestly leaders in the Old Testament. We see that. Right? Their motive wasn't there. Their intercession before God wasn't holy, like Christ's is holy. Uh, and so therefore, they, the Israelites... We're supposed to have confidence in their priests, but they proved unfaithful. But an implication of this, then, for us is that we can have absolute confidence in Christ's interceding work for us because he does it out of love and purity of motive. So you guys see how that's an implication of this. Um, So next one. Christ's priestly intercession is eternal. Right, it's, it's eternal. Uh, chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 16 uh, and 17. Let me read that really quick for us. It says, uh, who, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of uh, indestructible life, for it is witnessed of him, uh, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, he is a priest forever. And then we don't, you could also look up the next set of verses if you want to further validate that. But what does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work? How is the, what are the implications of this, that his intercession is eternal? 
What are the implications for that, with that for us? What was that? It's not periodic. It's not periodic, yes. It's not, periodic. It's not once a year like it was in the Old Testament anymore. You're not going to run out of chances. Okay. Yeah. This speaks really to the fact that our salvation is eternal, right? We could have confidence in the assurance of our salvation because of the past atoning work of Christ, because he is currently and eternally then going to be interceding for us. So that's a implication right there and how we could apply it for us, right? Uh, we have confidence in the work he has done in the past because he will be eternally forever. It's not some, something that will end. There's going to be no end to it. And that's obviously great news for us. Um, all right, next one. Christ's priestly intercession is protective. It's protective. I have revelations for this one. Um, let me quickly turn there. Revelation chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12, verses 10 through 11. And it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ ha- have come. And the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and nights before God. And they have conquered him uh, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives even unto death. This is talking about the accuser, right? Of Satan accusing us. And God is the one who protects us. Uh, Christ's priestly intercession, intercession is protective. Um, Stephen Charnock, I've talked about him in the past before. Um, if you were here when I was teaching previously, I don't remember which week it was. Uh, you could see when he was alive there. Uh, commenting on this, he says, as he was a high priest upon the cross to make an expiation for us, so he is our high priest in the court of heaven to plead this atonement, both before the tribunal of justice and the throne of mercy. Remember, the throne of mercy, that's referring to the mercy seats. What we saw, the picture of the, um, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. It was, it was the top of the Ark of the Covenant where they had the cherubim. Um, going back to this quote. And the, and the throne of mercy against the curses of the law and the accusations of Satan. That's what we're seeing here talked about in Revelation. Uh, and the indictments of sin and to keep off the punishment which our guilt had merited. All right, so Christ's priestly intercession is holy, it's eternal, it's protective. Man, this is really good because he's interceding in our behalf, right? He is before God uh, interceding on our behalf and it's, the intercession looks this way. All right, Christ's priestly intercession is personal. It's personal. Uh, we have Hebrews chapter 9, Verses, verse, just one verse, verse 24, uh, chapter 9, verse 24. Uh, and this is actually the one uh, Sam read earlier. Uh, For Christ has entered not into 
uh, not into holy places made with hands, like it was in the Old Testament, uh, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, right? It's on our behalf. It's for us. Um, so, question again for you all. What does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work? The fact that it is personal. Or you could even bring in the other ones we've already talked about. What are some implications, some conclusions we could start making about this? What does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work? It's powerful. He's always doing it. He's always doing it. He's always there. Whatever we need, he's right there. Yeah, yeah. What were you saying? It's a continual thing. It's a continual thing. We saw that with the eternal eternality of it, right? Um, it's a personal thing. When we're applying the personal thing, what are the implications for that? He is our Savior and our protector for okay. each and every one of us. And by doing that, he has to know each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. He knows us. He knows us well. Um, an implication I would, I would suggest um, is that he has you in mind when he intercedes for you. Right? He doesn't just intercede for just some abstract collective group of individuals. Right? But he has you in mind because it's personal. He intercedes on our behalf. It's a personal intercessory work that's currently happening, eternally happening. Next one, Christ's priestly intercession is effectual. And when I say it's effectual, I'm saying it's effective, right? It's going to bring out the right outcome. Uh, He's interceding on our behalf, uh, and it's effectual. Uh, we could look at Romans uh, 8. Let's turn there really quick. Uh, Romans 8, um, 33 and 35. Does anyone want to read this one for us? Romans 8, 33 and 35. Jim, do you want to read that one for us? Sure. Just go there. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So it's, it's a passage we already read, but we added a few more verses on the back end to see the results of that. He intercedes for us, and therefore the question becomes, who can separate us from God? Because he is interceding for us, he is eternally interceding for us, he is, it is protective, it is holy, right? it is personal, uh, and therefore it is effective. Nothing can separate us from God because he is interceding for us. So those who God intercedes for, 
will never be separated from, from the love of God. Will, will not be separated from the love of God. So we could obviously conclude we're talking about believers. Um, he is only interceding for believers. Um, we can never be separated from, from God because of the work that it's built off of, right? The atonement that we talked about last week. All right, so it's effectual. Next, uh, Christ's priestly intercession is um, particular. What do I mean by particular? Um, you could see there I have the same reference in Romans. We don't necessarily need to read that again. Um, that's uh, it's, it's God's chosen here. He's, he's saving. He is interceding for. And when I say particular, I'm really referencing that it's for a particular group of people. Again, we just, I just kind of commented on this. It's for those who are saved, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's for those particular people. Um, some might say, well, Christ could intercede for all individuals. If he intercedes for all individuals, then it wouldn't be effectual. It wouldn't be effective because we know not all come to repentance of Christ. Uh, not all, therefore, go to heaven. Otherwise, we'd start to become universalists. Um, and we can't, we can't go there. So it is, therefore, particular. Uh, I want to go some, to some of these other passages. I'm going to quickly go to John chapter 17. Uh, this whole chapter is an incredible intercessory prayer that Christ prays on our behalf before God the Father. The high priestly prayer, this is why it's called the high priestly prayer, this whole chapter. Um, if you want to see how he intercedes for us uh, before he ascended up into heaven, uh, read this chapter. It's an incredible chapter. But uh, verse 9 of chapter 17 in the Gospel of John, uh, it says, I am praying for them. Who is he praying for? I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Uh, this is who he's interceding for, right? We're not necessarily talking about atonement here. Uh, we're talking about the interceding work of Christ. He intercedes those who God the Father has given to Christ the Son, and he's interceding for that particular group of, of people. And then you could also, we could also go to Revelation chapter 13 uh, here. Revelation chapter 13, let me go there really quick. Uh, verse 8, and that says, And all who dwell on earth will worship everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And this is something that Pastor Ron talked a little bit about when he talked about the book of life, right? We're talking about the particular people who are written in the book of life. Those are the people Christ intercedes for. Those are the people that he is their great high priest. So, question again, same question I've been asking. What does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work? What does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work as we are adding piece after piece describing it? If we're defining holy as set apart for God's use, that means that it was always God's plan 
for me to be with him. Mm -hmm. It was always his plan for there not to be any separation. And adding all of these things, you just kind of get a picture of how, how much work God is willing to do to keep me close to him, yeah. to keep this separation from getting in the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good. And it's, it's really cool that God does that for us. And he does it for us through his son. How does he do it through his son? Through the atoning work, through the interceding work. And, I mean, these are just two things we're talking about. And you could go beyond that even. Um, and these are the pri priestly works of Christ, right? There's also the prophetic works of Christ. There's the kingly works of Christ, which we're not talking about. Um, so that's really cool, right? Anything else? What does this tell us about Christ's intercessory work? Yeah, yeah. It, it shows how personal it is. We talked about the personalness of it, right? It's personal because it's particular. Um, it's for you. Um, it's eternal before the foundations of the world. Um, all of those things. And it will last forever because he is eternal. And these are a lot of the things we're seeing in the book of Hebrews bringing out that Christ is our great high priest. Right? Way better than any high priest in the Old Testament. Um, so we are blessed to be living during this time. Uh, I think it's funny um, when you might hear kids in Sunday school or Awan or whatever it is, and I probably said this as well, that, oh, wouldn't it be cool to live during the Old Testament or to be living during these times? Um, or even the New Testament, Christ was there. Um, in a sense, yeah, but then also at the same sense, definitely not. We are far more blessed to be living now <laughs> because now Christ is our great high priest. Now we are receiving the blessings that this brings, which we haven't even gotten to yet the blessings of his, inter uh, his work of interceding for us. All right, the last descriptor I have here is Christ's priestly intercession is comprehensive. Um, what do I mean by comprehensive? I mean, it's, it's comprehensive, it's full. Like, there's, uh, there's all these things. What were we saying? All-encompassing. Yeah, all-encompassing. Um, and so you can see, I wrote a couple of bullet points of how you could see a couple different things there. A lot of it is from John chapter 17, uh, that prayer that Jesus is praying before God the Father. Um, we see that he is interceding for us in that prayer, and he's praying for these things on our behalf. And then I also, just for good measure, put in the Hebrews 1, uh, it also helps us with our temptation. And he is sympathetic um, because he's also been tempted. But then he helps us with that. And we see, how does he help us with that? I mean, he helps us with that by giving us the helper as well, uh, the Holy Spirit. And we see how all of this is really highlighted in Christ. But really, the Father and the Spirit as well are all involved in this. Because as we talked about with the Trinity, you can't separate the works of Christ. Um, it's always from the Father um, these works are initiated, but it's done through the Son, and it's applied then to us by the Spirit. And then we've also then 
talked about how you could reverse that process in our response to God in worship. We worship then, uh, we respond to God by the spirits through the Son to the Father then. Um, all right, so we talked all about a lot of different things. Um, we're about to start section three. Uh, is there any comments or questions that you guys want to talk about before we move on? Isn't this fun stuff? <laughs> Maybe? No? I don't know. All right. Now we're going to be talking about the blessings that we receive because Christ intercedes for us. Um, the benediction, uh, the blessing. Um, so because we start with Old Testament examples, right? It's the shadows which is to show foreshadow of the truer spiritual reality, which Christ fulfills, um, we'll start with the two Old Testament examples. So we see in the book of Hebrews, Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We see Melchizedek mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, so turn with me to Genesis chapter 14, uh, if it's convenient. Genesis chapter 14, and we see uh, Melchizedek was special, and this is why probably we, it says, the book of Hebrews says that uh, Christ is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek was the priest king. He was a king and he was a priest, just like Christ is a king and a priest. Uh, we don't see the... Um, we don't see that anywhere else in the Old Testament where the priests were also the kings. Uh, but Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, it says, um, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high. Uh, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. We see um, one of the works of the priest is to bless the, the specific particular people. Uh, another example, Old Testament example, uh, we see in Numbers, and I think Numbers chapter 6, many of all, you all may be familiar with. Um, I know Pastor Sam talks a lot about this section. Uh, Sam, would you be able to read Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26? The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So we see the priests under the um, order of Aaron, the Aaronic priests, uh, blessing Israel. And that was their, their job, their duty as, as the priests here. And we see another example of that in the other reference I put on your note sheet there as well. Uh, so now uh, let's talk about Christ again. Right? These are just the foreshadows of the truer, the greater high priest, um, 
Christ blesses before his ascension. Uh, so before he actually ascends back up to God the Father, before he does the actual interceding work, um, well, we, we see him interceding also while he's still on earth, as we saw in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. But we see him uh, bestowing blessing also. Uh, so I thought this was interesting. Compare uh, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. Um, so I'm going to turn there really quick. Uh, does someone want to look up Luke chapter 24, 4, verses 50 through 21? Who wants to look up that passage really quick for us? Luke 24. All right, thanks, Jim. Um, let me read the Leviticus passage first. Uh, and so this is still going with Aaron as, as, a, as a priest. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came uh, down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. So he lifts up his hands and he blesses them, acting as the high priest. And then now Christ we see as our high priest. What does the passage say? as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So then we see the very last thing he does before he is ascended back up to heaven is his blessing as, as the priest. Uh, and so he blesses us. The blessing of Christ's intercessory work uh, goes back to Abraham. So let's turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians has always been one of my favorite books um, because it really shows how a lot of the, the um, Bible flows together. We see the Abrahamic covenant, we see the Mosaic covenant, we see the New Covenant, all these things working together. Uh, and what's the unifying thing in these things? It's the blessing. It's the blessing. Um, so let's talk about that. The blessing of Christ's intercessory work goes back to Abraham. So I'm going to read uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 8, looking at that section. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. If you want to look up where that's found, that's found all the way back in Genesis chapter uh, 12, verse 3. Um, we see this starting. Uh, this is when he calls Abraham, he's uh, making a covenant with Abraham, and he says, it's going to be through you, all the nations will be blessed. Um, and it's cool because we could trace the lineage of Abraham um, all the way going to Christ then. But then we have to connect that with verse 14. You really have to read this whole chapter. But verse 14, uh, of within the same chapter, and it says, uh, well, for, Verse 13 talks about um, hanging on a tree. He became a curse for us. Um, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is this blessing? This is something that we get through faith. This is something that's um, given to us why? Because Christ is interceding for us. Um, it's established on the atonement, right? What we talked about last week. But it will continually be presented to us for all of eternity because of his current interceding work on our behalf. 
So what is at the core of God's blessing? Right? We receive this blessing. This is what we receive because he intercedes for us. What is at the core of God's blessing? Um, promise of the Spirit. That's definitely at the core. Uh, we see that here, right here in Galatians. Uh, it's salvation. So, I mean, through Christ interceding for us, because he intercedes for us, we receive the blessing, the benediction. Uh, what's at the core of that? It, it's kind of all wrapped up, right? The atoning work. Part of the blessing is justification. But then even more beyond that, if you want to move beyond that, is sanctification, right? Becoming like him. These are all wrapped up in the blessings that we receive um, from Christ's intercessory work. What I'm wondering in particular, but on the blessing of God, how yeah. God blesses us, and can we bless God? <laughs> we bless God only with the blessings he first gives us. We don't have anything worthwhile to bless God with, right? So therefore, again, when we receive the blessing from God, we can then bless God, in a sense, only the things he has first given us. That includes um, his love, right? He, loved, uh, he first loved us, so therefore we could love him. Um, this is what pure worship, I think, looks like. This is why we could only worship in spirit and in truth, because those are the only things worth actually giving back to God. Um, so what does it mean that God blesses us? And how does that... Because I hear you, but we use God bless us when people sneeze. Sure. Um, yeah. And we, it's in our religious vocabulary, but I'm not sure it's in our clear definition yeah. here. Yeah, so I think Nancy hit it really well. Um, of what is at the core of God's blessing? The ultimate blessing is Christ, right? And it's all the things we gain because of Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit, she mentioned. Um, I know this may not be as specific as you would want. <laughs> um, our salvation, our process of sanctification, holiness is all wrapped up into that. What was the specific question you're asking? I'm just wondering if the way in which God blesses us needs to be the way in which we can be a blessing to him. Because he, yeah. if he blesses us through salvation, we certainly do not bless him through saving him. Definitely not. So, so live out our salvation, that blesses him, right? By living out our salvation? Yes, well, that's part of it. And so it's what it looks like to glorify him. And this is what I would say um, of what it means to have communion with God in union with Christ. We are reciprocating. Again, this is the shirt for the youth. Reciprocating God's affections. And when I say that, we're returning God's own affections back upon himself. Uh, were you going to say something? Uh, yeah. Um, if I were to have to formulate it, I might say that the the chief end of this um, and blessing from God is that we can be in right relationship with him. Yeah. And from that, all of these other things flow, and this is the processes through which um, he has chosen to make us right with him. Um, so in regards to blessing, if I think about the ironic blessing, where do we get the term benediction from? Mm. Um, yeah. The... the 
the idea behind that is that God has put his face, his focus on the people of Israel and now us through Christ. Um, he has our fa- his face turned towards us and with that, his favor, uh, his blessings, um, all in the intent of, in that time, Israel being his chosen people and having communion and being in right relationship with him. And now with us through Christ, we can have that more fully. So the ultimate blessing to begin with and where all these others will trickle down from will be greater knowledge and experience of being in right relationship with God. So when God gives us blessings of whether they be material or they be gifts and talents or spiritual gifts, all of these are bolstering the building up and edification of God's people, um, putting them towards Christ, uh, spurring them on in sanctification to be more like him. That's how we're reciprocating things that he's already given us, holiness, love, joy, peace. But at the end, we are working, progressing towards in this life, and then we'll, we'll be perfected um, when all things are made well to be in perfect right relationship with him. Yeah. I, that's really good. And maybe if I were to try to say it in one sentence to respond to Jason, it would be, I don't know if I could do it in one sentence. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, wh- what does he give us, right? Um, what blessing does he give us than that we're able to bless him with? But it has to be the same thing. Um, I would say, like, I mean, his love is probably the easiest thing to think about. He loves us. And he shows us that he gave us his son, he gave us salvation, he blesses us with that. And therefore, we're able to love him with that same love. Um, This love that we're talking about isn't just something that's man-made, built in myself, separate from Christ. It's something I possess only because he first loved me. And therefore, because I have that love that he first gave me, I could use that same love to love him. And then therefore, love others. This is how then... Husbands could love their wives as Christ loves the church. That's another application of this. We could only do that at first his love that is in us um, that only comes from him. It's, it's something foreign to us on our own. All right, let's move on. We're running out of time. Uh, concluding thoughts on Christ's uh, intercession. Um, uh, concluding thoughts on Christ's intercession. Well, Really quick, I wanted to really just tie a bow around Christ's past atoning work is wrapped up in his current interceding work for us today. It's all wrapped up together. All right, concluding thoughts on Christ's intercession. First one, we can have constant reliance on the exalted Christ. Why? I mean, look at all the descriptors we use for his intercession. We can have reliance on him. Um, because he is holy, because he is eternal, because he is all of these things. Uh, these are some concluding things. And you could look up these references again. A lot of these we've already looked at. We can find strong comfort and hope. Why can we stri- find strong comfort and hope? Because we know it's eternal, it's never ending, um, it's always constant, because he is always constant. We have assurance of our salvation. Because of it, and that's what the next one is. We have we have confidence in our salvation, right? These are all conclusions that we can make because Christ intercedes for us. Um, we have 
We can confess our sins without fear. And what I mean by that is that we could boldly come before God as his children. Um, we could confess our sins without fear. Without fear in the fact that he would change his mind and say we're too dirty and sinful for him to be our father anymore. Right? Because Christ was already, this is obviously assuming you put your faith in Christ, because Christ has atoned for your sin upon the cross and he's currently interceding for you, you can boldly go before God and fearfully, still fearfully, in that uh, uh, with reverence, fear, confess your sins before God. Um, even though I said without fear, but with proper reverent fear. Last one, we can be more uh, expectant to receive comfort in prayer. We could receive comfort in prayer. Why can we receive comfort in prayer? Because Christ is actually interceding on our behalf before God the Father. Um, all right, so that concludes uh, this lesson, and it looks like we have a couple minutes to spare.